So maybe you feel like you're living in a video game these days. I don't know. Some days I look at it and I go, wow, what in the world is going on? Some of you might remember Pac-Man that took the world by storm back in the early 80s. The game was a classic chase scenario where, you know, you as the game player, uh, your job was to, you know, eat little things while you were being chased. And I would just have to say that sounds like the world that we're living in today. You just eat a little bit and you're being chased by the madness around us. So, of course, today's video games are like way more sophisticated than that. Uh, even lifelike, aren't they? And it's extremely entertaining to watch a kid master a video game. Some of you know firsthand experience with this. But it's a different story altogether to watch a 40-year-old playing a video game in his mother's basement. <laughs> that, that, that's not what should be going on. That's a failure to grow up. And so in life, we need to grow beyond the games that we used to play if we hope to change. So today, I'm super excited to uh, begin a new sermon series called Grow Up. It's a five-week series. We're going to be walking through what it is we need to do, what we need to understand to grow and mature, to become the people that God wants us to become. And I'm so glad you're either here in this room or you're joining us uh, live stream. We're grateful that you can be part uh, of the service today. So we just stepped into a brand new year, uh, 2022. That's just so hard for me to wrap my head around. Uh, in my mind, I'm still at the beginning of 2020, so I don't know, you know, that's really crazy. So, and we know that as we do that, as we, the calendar rotates every year, you know, we're people of change. Like life is filled with change. And, uh, you know, those that do the stats tell us that half the people like change, half the people don't like change. You may not have to like it, but you better get used to it. And truthfully, in our own lives, we can change for the good or we can change for the not so good. You and I can become better people or we can go, uh, go the other way. In the language of the Bible, changing for good is called growth. And so in, in an environment like this, um, I often, when I'm preparing or when I'm speaking, I'm aware that uh, in a room like this or on live stream, some of you are joining us there, there are people who have not believed in Jesus for their salvation and there are people who have. Sometimes around here, we call people who haven't believed in Jesus, they're seekers. In other words, God has tapped them on the shoulder and they're wanting to know more. They're seekers in the sense that they're here in this room or they're joining us live stream or they're open to conversation about who Jesus Christ really is. And so the tension that I and others often feel when we're communicating and we trust God to help us is that some messages are directed to helping seekers or unbelievers discover more about what Jesus has done for them so they can place their faith in him and have the assurance of heaven and the Holy Spirit living inside of them. You only have to do that one time. And so for a believer to hear that message over and over again, you got it. And so the tension is we're speaking to those that have not yet placed their faith in Christ. And we're speaking to those who are believers and many of whom have been Christians for a long, long time. Some of you in this room are joining us uh, over the airways there have have been a Christian for a long, long time. And yet we understand that we don't grow into becoming a Christian. It is a one time moment of belief. But having believed in Jesus, we then are urged by God to grow and change. And there's no one in this room, there's no one joining us, no one part of our church, no one in the world, the big C church, who has perfected all of that, who has arrived. We're always to be growing and changing. So I'm very excited about this series. I think we all need it. 
no matter where we fall on that spiritual spectrum. So this morning, I want to start with an axiom about growth that often gets repeated, and it goes like this. It's normal for living things to grow. Maybe you've heard that before. That phrase can be used to suggest that every Christian will grow, that Christian maturity and progress is somehow automatically baked into this new life that we get when we're born again. But is that true? Like, is maturity inevitable for every person who has believed in Jesus? So imagine with me uh, for a minute a room of, let's say, 50 people who have believed in Jesus for salvation. Can we say with certainty that all of those 50 people will ultimately grow to spiritual maturity before they die? This is the view that some people have, that, that somehow contained in the seed of being born again is this automatic idea that they will grow toward maturity. So while the phrase it's normal for living things to grow is succinct and I would say even tweetable, you know, there it is. It's normal for living things to grow. It's got a little punch to it. I would suggest that statement is actually incomplete. A more accurate way to finish that thought would be it's normal for living things to grow if they're nourished. If they're nourished. In other words, the mere fact that something is living must then grow presupposes nourishment. Living things grow because they are nourished. Any living thing deprived of nourishment actually eventually dies. So uh, many years ago now, our older son, Ben, decided that he had to have a snake for a pet. I, the whole thing just sort of messes with my head a little bit. And we had just visited some friends in California, and, and we uh, were with a family who had a pet snake. And uh, it was a California king snake. So Ben, my son, decided he had to have a California king snake too. So we returned to Maryland. We started the snake search. Started looking around for this California uh, king snake that he he wanted to have. And uh, those of you, maybe you've had snakes in your home or pets, or if you're a snake person, my apologies to the story I'm about to tell. But anyway, um, it, just like right off the bat, okay, snakes are not like warm and fuzzy and cuddly. Like you don't, you know, kneel down on the floor and say to a snake, come here, come here, buddy, come here. That's, that's not how snakes work. They're just sort of cold blooded and you don't, you know, cuddle up with them. I remember on more times than, than one, Holding the snake, we'd take him out of the cage, I'm holding the snake, and on multiple occasions, the snake would bite me, and on several occasions, the snake just pooped all over me. And, and we, I found out later that, well, he was startled. And I'm thinking, well, I get startled sometimes. I don't do that, okay? So this is really getting old, and, and certainly months pass, and Ben loses interest in feeding the snake. And so mom and dad become the snake feeders. We're the ones, you know, dropping the little mouse in the cage with the snake so he can unhinge his jaw and swallow that thing whole. And after a while, we're just thinking this, this is not working. But even after feeding the snake, he could go three or four days without eating again. He was still being nourished because whatever he had swallowed, the mouse in this case, was being digested and was nourishing his body. So eventually, long and short of it, we found a new home for the snake and we started a new chapter in our lives. It's normal for living things to grow if they're nourished, okay? And so, believer sitting here today or believer joining us uh, online, growing to maturity is what you were meant to do but not what you are guaranteed to do. There's a difference. 
If growth is inevitable or automatic for every believer, then God has wasted lots of ink in the Bible telling us we need to grow up. Why would God include passage after passage after passage written to believers to say, you better grow up. You better start moving toward maturity if, in fact, this whole thing is baked in from the beginning and automatic. No, instead, in the Bible, we see God urging believers to grow. You know why? Because we might not. Now, I don't mean to get personal here, but many of us know or have experienced believers who come to Christ. They're overjoyed about the new life that they have, but yet they don't make progress. They don't grow. They don't diligently pursue uh, who God has made them to be. So throughout the New Testament, especially, we're told by God, pay attention. We're told in phrases like this, be diligent. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. We should no longer be children, but we should grow up. Or Colossians 1.10, we should bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of God. Colossians 2.7 says it this way. Having received Jesus, we are to be rooted in him and built up. There's this anticipation and urgency toward progress, toward moving beyond just becoming a Christian to now living as a Christian, growing and maturing. But nowhere is it more blatantly obvious then in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to begin there today and encourage you to open your Bibles to that spot. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's start at verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is one of the more, I might call it, famous verses related to our growth. It's just, it just lays it out there, okay? He says, just like newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I want to start at verse 3 and work backwards, though. Peter is writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered, who have been dispersed. He's writing to Christians. This point is driven home even more fully in verse 3 there. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In Greek, this is known as a first-class condition. So it is as so. It's not if and we're wondering. You can almost translate this since. Since you have uh, indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he's writing to these Christians and he's telling them, just like a baby craves milk, so you too should crave the word of God. And why is that? Just like a baby will grow being nourished by milk, you too will grow being nourished by uh, the word of God. I like the way Bob Wilkins says it about this verse when he writes, Peter is using milk to refer to all the teachings in God's word. His point concerns the strong desire that we should have to take in God's word. He is not suggesting that his readers are young believers or that they only receive basic teaching. That's the temptation with this verse to go, oh, oh, Peter's writing to, to babies in Christ. That's not what this says. He's saying just like no matter where you are on your growth path, no, no matter if you're a little infant or if you're grown up over here, just like a baby craves milk, so you too, wherever you are on your growth path, should crave the word of God so that you can continue to grow. That's what he's uh, describing here. 
So notice Peter's words are filled with intensity. He says, desire the pure milk of the word. Uh, That word means, some of your translations even have it like this. It means to crave or to yearn for or to long. Like it's very strong, intense language. And the same intensity, I believe, is implied for your spiritual growth. That's where this whole thing is headed. So we could also imply that not only are we to desire or crave or yearn for or long for the pure milk of the word, but we are to desire and crave and yearn for and long for growth. We are to want to grow. We are to want to change once that seed of the new birth has been implanted uh, in us. And why is it that we should want to grow? And I I was just trying to get my head around this and preparing this because the list is long. Let let me just tell you why we all ought to be motivated. Okay, sort of random order here. We're, we're, We're to yearn and desire and to crave growing because our growth toward maturity pleases God and glorifies him. Let's start there. But let me continue the list. Growing helps us experience who we were created to be. In addition, growing prepares us to enjoy eternity. Also, it helps us make sense of life. Growing turns us into influencers for God. In addition, growing ensures we're not wasting our lives. If you're not growing as a Christian, there's a good chance you're wasting your life. Because it's through this growth process that we discover more about who we've been created to be. In addition, growing means that we're becoming better people, literally better people. Growing means that we will bear spiritual fruit. If we're not growing, we will not bear spiritual fruit. God has put us on this planet to bear fruit. And in addition, growing positions us for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Now you make your own list. Those are just scattershot things that I wrote down. It is important and vital that you and I grow, that we change. And here's another idea. Take time to grow because growing takes time. Take time to grow because growing takes time. Growing is not this instant thing. So we're, we're cursed to live in a culture of immediate gratification. Have you felt it? Like we got to have it now. And, and our, our culture nurtures us to consider that, that that's what we need. And it's seeped into the church Many people think that they can become spiritually mature quickly by attending church meetings. Friends, it's way bigger than that. I I, I like the way the phrase that that Eugene Peterson uses related to this. He calls it, no, what, what instead we need is a long obedience in the same direction. Because the idea of growth implies, the, the idea of maturity implies time. It just takes time, time to grow. And it means that growing takes time. Now we could stop right here and sort of bail out of the message and we could do a little circle up and go, what kind of time are you spending growing? What are you doing investing in this whole thing? Because if growth takes time, we got to put time into it uh, as we grow. So for years around LifePoint Church, we've been trying to clarify the win. Many years ago now, we felt like, hey, it would be fair to you, fair to all of us if we said, hey, this is kind of how you know if you're growing and changing. 
This is kind of how you know if if you're maturing in Christ. What is it that we're shooting for? What are we trying to become? And how do I know and how do you know if you're growing and maturing? Now, that list could be long. But what we did all those years ago was we identified five characteristics of a Christ-like influencer based on the content of the Bible. Five things. We didn't want to overwhelm each other, but everything fits under these five. Five things that help us know that we're making progress. Do you know them? We call them the characteristics of a Christ-like influencer. A Christ-like influencer surrenders continually, loves extravagantly, invests relationally, gives generously, and engages with God daily. Do you want to know if you're growing and changing? To what degree are these things part of your life? Do you surrender continually? Do you say to God, my life is yours? Rather than worry or fret or go, oh my gosh, what should, what should I do about this or that? Are we surrendered to God? God, I don't belong to myself. Do we love extravagantly? Is our first inclination to love, even when we're opposed or there's pushback? Are we investing relationally in other people? Or are we living on an island? Are we in it for ourselves? Or are we in it for what Francis Schaeffer used to call personal peace and prosperity? Are, are we giving generously? Not only of our time, but of our resources that God has entrusted. And are we engaging with God daily? Some of you have had people tell me before, you know, this, this, this is the highlight of my week, coming to a church service. I get filled up here and I just wait till the next week. You're in serious trouble. We are to engage with God every day. And what does that look like for you? So to one degree or another, if we want to know we're growing or maturing in Christ, we look at this list that I find very helpful. So what do you look like if you're growing? Well, you, you begin to resemble Jesus Christ. A life that resembles Christ brings glory to God and he is pleased. So I would just have to ask each of us, there's a list. How are you doing? How are you doing? And this is not heavy, but it is a heavy Okay. Like we go through each one of these. I go through each one of these. How am I doing in each of these areas in order to, to resemble Christ? What's, what's happening? Am I becoming a, a Christ-like influencer? So our mission around here is to influence people to find and follow Jesus. Who, who does the influencing? Well, we all do. Like if you're looking to me or to our staff or even to some of our volunteer leaders around here, well, you guys are the influencers. Well, yeah, that's true, but we're not the only influencers. It's all of us together who are becoming influencers. And we do that when we resemble uh, Jesus Christ. So once again, we can count on Peter to sound the alarm. This time it's in his second letter. Okay, we had a passage out of 1 Peter. Now let's look at 2 Peter. And, And he tells us in warming up to the passage we're going to look at, He tells his readers, you know, guys, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt in fervent heat. He's describing sort of the cataclysmic end uh, of the end times. Therefore, he says, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. He's anticipating this reality that will eventually come. Sometimes you guys have heard perhaps some of you say that... um, I love throwing people off and telling Christians, you know, hey, you're a Christian, you're, you're going to heaven now, but do you know that you'll not spend eternity in heaven? Nobody will spend eternity in heaven. And they go, oh my gosh, what new heresy is Joe embracing now? No, the Bible says that the present heaven will be done away with and that you and I will dwell on a new earth. We will populate a new earth. And friends, that makes heaven, that makes eternity very real 
tangible, touchable, right? Peter is describing these kinds of things. He's telling his readers, hey guys, this is what is coming. And so what do we do until then? Notice what Peter says. Let's pick up 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. You therefore, well, therefore harkens back to what he just said. What did he just say? Hey guys, it's all coming to this culmination. It's all headed in this direction. All this is going to be scrambled up. We're going to be done away with. There's a new reality coming. This is where we're headed. Therefore, beloved believers in Jesus, since you know these things beforehand, I'm telling you, this is how it ends. I've told you, this is what's going to happen. You know this already. I'm just reminding you, since, since we know that these things beforehand, he says, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Now, would you, would you call that a warning or not? I would call that a warning. In other words, he's writing to these believers and he's saying, guys, we know how this thing is going to end. Everything we're doing is moving toward that sort of final culmination. Therefore, he says, beware. That's a warning word. Beware so that you don't fall from your own steadfastness. He's warning them that they can cease to grow and move forward. This is pretty serious warning. And like Peter's original audience, every believer is capable of falling from their steadfastness in Christ. Now, what this doesn't mean is he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about forfeiting your fellowship with Christ. He's talking about moving in such a way where you're no longer moving, where you're no longer growing. It's a very sad state uh, in a condition to be in. So what do we do to prevent that? He tells us in the next verse, we grow. Look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. So Peter told them, hey, hey guys, you better pay attention. Beware so that you don't, you know, drift away or fall away from your own steadfastness. But instead, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, last words are important words. Would you agree? You ever been at the bedside of someone who's dying? And you just kind of pay attention. You're just sort of alert to what, what is they're going to say. They're very important. So Peter is ending this second letter with these words. Guys, pay attention. Put your energy into this. This is important. And he says, grow in two ways. Grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace should never get old for us. We enter into a relationship with Jesus through his grace and we continue to live in that grace, that, that unmerited favor that God shows toward us. We grow not only in grace, but he says to us, I want you to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it awesome that as we grow, I don't know if you've put a lot of horsepower into this mentally or heart wise, we can get to know Jesus better. In fact, that's really one of the definitions of growth, getting to know Jesus better, because when we get to know Jesus better, we will be better people that will change the way that we live. It will change our perspective of life. It will change our habits. It will change what's what's occupying our minds. It will change the actions that we embrace. Spiritual growth is about getting to know Jesus better. And the truth is nothing gives God more glory 
than to see his children grow to resemble his son. That gives God incredible glory. To know Jesus personally. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 says this. And this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing Jesus is growing in Jesus. Getting to know Jesus means that you are growing. So we've already acknowledged that growing takes time. And we got to spend time doing it. But there's another takeaway from Peter's words that are inferred here. And it goes like this. No one can grow for you. No one can grow for you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word grow is an imperative in the original language, which is a fancy way of saying it's a command. It's not a suggestion from God. God is saying to believers in Jesus, grow. You better be growing. You better be changing. You better be making progress toward maturity. This is what God is telling us. We must do it. Now, I have to say, I've thought about this a lot, especially as it relates to church, because I think many of us have fallen in the trap of of looking to the church to do for us what the church could never do. You know, so you show up here and attend some meeting or Bible study, you're part of a community group, you're part of whatever, or you look to the leadership or you look to the staff and you're looking at us to do something for you that we, that church never could do. And now all of a sudden, rather than the personal responsibility resting on your shoulders, you're looking to other people to be responsible to make you grow. That does not happen. That's not how it works. No one can grow for you. That's not what growth is about. So we can, we can fall into this trap, but none of us can ever force growth. I like the way one author says it. No one grows by doing what someone else forces us to do. Instead, we begin to grow when we finally want to grow. That just really lays in, in the lap of each one of us, doesn't it? I love the words of Jeremiah in chapter 29 when, when Jeremiah records God's words. This is God speaking, okay? Here's what he says. And you will seek me, God speaking. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Isn't that an incredible promise? God is saying, I'm going to put something inside of you and this thing might die. It might shrivel out, but I'm going to encourage you to continue moving toward me because that's where real life is found. You need to grow. You need to mature and and you can search for me and and I can be found by you, says the Lord. Or, Or the way Larry Crabb says it, I think puts it succinctly. We find God to the degree we want to find him. Ooh. So what degree... Do we want to find God? Do we want to grow and get to know him? Put another way, God holds you and he holds me personally responsible to engage with him on the adventure of your personal spiritual growth. Personally responsible. So in writing to the church at Corinth, Paul gives us some uh, secondhand information that is of primary importance, I think. He mentions the work he did And then he mentions the work a guy named Apollos did. And then he mentions what God did. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 6. Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God caused it to grow. Now he's talking about the investment in the life of the Corinthian church, but I think the principle applies to our personal spiritual growth as well. I planted, here's what Paul says, okay, I put the seed in the ground, I planted, Apollos came along and he watered it. But oh, let me tell you what really happened here. It's God who caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants is making it grow, or the one who waters is making it grow, but God who causes the growth. That's a miracle, isn't it? God causes the growth. Have you ever camped on the first recorded miracle that Jesus performed? You know what it was, anybody? Yeah, water to wine, okay? Water to wine, so John 2. So Jesus comes along, he's, at a, he's attending a wedding, his mother comes to him and says, okay, this is kind of awkward, Jesus, but you think you could step in here. And she, she doesn't really know what he's going to do, but she tells all the people, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> You're pretty safe with Jesus, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So these six water pots over there, you know, 20 or 30 gallon water, water pots. And Jesus says, fill them with water. And you know the miracle, Jesus turns that water into wine. My question is, how come he he couldn't turn air into wine? Why did he have to fill it with water? He didn't have to. He could have just said to an empty pot, be filled with wine, of course. But he's working on an object lesson. There's purification ritual there in those pots. That's what they were used for. We go on and on and on. But let me tell you the takeaway for me. I think about this a lot. That all God wants me to do is fill the pots with water. And then he, he does the miraculous. He, metaphorically, he changes the water to wine. Okay, But it is a cooperative arrangement. So it's not like you become a Christian and you sit here waiting to be zapped into maturity by God. God says, I want you to fill the water pots. I want you to get involved. This is a cooperative relationship. Thus, all the commandments in the New Testament about grow. Because if this thing was automatic, again, that, that would, why would God be telling us that? So it's not like we become Christians and see some of us have become Christians and we're kind of waiting for God to, quote, grow us up. That's not how it works. We cooperate with God and growth happens from him. That, that's the exciting part of this. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but I'm responsible to fill the water pots and God turns it into wine. So out of this, we must never forget a final uh, idea that I want to bring before you today. It's God who grows you. It's God who grows you, right? Now, God helps you in your cooperative process of growth. The end result of growing to become more like Jesus is supernatural. God grows you, but the process is cooperative. So you can't, as, as the end product, get down here as a mature person and go, look what I did. You didn't do that. God supernaturally did that in you. You were part of the process in that you just took a step at a time. You said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what I need to do to stay pointed in your direction. And then something supernatural happens inside of you. But it's a cooperative effort. Maybe you've heard people, uh, you know, heard someone like play a song or, uh, you know, create a beautiful work of art or complete a construction project. And, and when you compliment them, they say something like this. Oh, it's not me. It's all God. Hey, you heard that, right? Maybe you said it. And we want to say to them, I'm pretty sure you've been practicing guitar for 12 years. 
And and I'm pretty sure you were working on that art project for what was it? Over a month. And I'm pretty sure I saw you swinging a hammer that day on the construction site. So I I appreciate the fact that you're you're wanting to acknowledge that did God help you? Well, of course, God helped you. And, And do you want to give glory to him? Yes, indeed. But you cooperated with God. You did your part. You you fill the water pots, so to speak. Okay, so don't say it's not me. It's all God. I appreciate the sentiment. I get that you're trying to give glory to God. But it's not like someone walked up on this stage who had never held a guitar in their lives and busted into some solo that was extraordinary. That would be it's all God and none of you. But more often than not, God grows us up in this cooperative arrangement, this relational connection that we have with God. When we say, "Okay, God, we're moving in this direction. We thank you for your help as we journey toward maturity in Christ likeness. Now, I I don't want to steal the thunder from the upcoming weeks, because in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk more about how we can all grow what it is we need to do in order to grow. But I want to close with some final application that I think uh, would help us as we understand that God wants us to grow. He invites us to join him in in the growth process. So uh, for now, I want to suggest you start with three practices or or better yet, mindsets, okay? I think this will help us anticipate God working to grow us up. So these are kind of preliminary not even practices, but mindsets that get us ready uh, to grow. All right. And I've never, pardon me, I've never seen these on a list of spiritual disciplines, Uh, but they continue to help me. And so let me just share them with you very quickly. They work for baby Christians and they work for grown-up Christians. Three attitudes or mindsets that prepare us to grow. Number one, attentiveness. Be attentive. Just be alert, okay? You know why? Because no one grows passively. So be attentive. Here's the second one. Embrace curiosity. Like, be curious. What, what could it be like, God? What do you have for me? What could I look like a year from now, two years from now? How might you want to change me, okay? So attentiveness, Curiosity. And finally, expectation. The expectation that God will work in my life. Now, I need to issue a little disclaimer here. God will always work in unexpected ways. So we can map out, you know, our plan. We can do strat ops. We can do, uh, these days, uh, I laugh at five-year strategic plans. Uh, Does life even work that way? So there's an expectation that God is working, that he wants to do something. I think that prepares us to grow. And so I'm looking forward to the next few weeks we have together uh, as we explore this idea of what it means to grow up, what it means once received this beautiful new life, how do we then grow it in cooperation with God? How do we then mature in him? Okay, I'd like to pray for us as we close this portion of our service. God, we're so very grateful for your presence with us and your desire. You want us to grow more than we want to grow. And you have enabled us to be 
uh, part of life. Those of us who have believed in Jesus, we have new life, but we don't want to stay babies, God. We want to grow and mature and resemble your son. For people here who have not yet believed in you, maybe we call them seekers, they're curious. I pray you would continue to help them to nurture that curiosity. But I pray that you would help them understand that they can't really grow spiritually until they have new life to grow. Thank you that you've created an environment here at our church where we can influence people to find and follow Jesus. We do that relying on you, our God. Do your supernatural work inside of each one of us. And God, with your help, we will cooperate with you in that process. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.